I'm a big fan of the TV series Atlanta. It's well acted, well written. The perspective is just different because this is a show that's sometimes able to either simplify complex things or make complex things real simple. For example, the episode about Bibby the Barber, the one who did everything but cut Paperboy's hair. He went to his baby mama's house, stopped by a construction site. He's that in a minute, I'm going to get to you more talking than cutting type of barber. And men put up with that, or so I'm told, because if you're a good barber, you'll be able to get away with a lot more. Doesn't work any differently for us women. We've all dealt with some trifling hairdressers. Uh, True story. I was getting my hair braided in Orlando. This is a few years ago. And the braider was about halfway done with my hair when she put the comb down, went over to the couch and took a nap. Bullshit you not. Now, in fairness, she was about seven months pregnant. And I know that pregnant women get tired, but I'm just asking for a little notice. A little, hey, I need five or 10 minutes. But old girl took a 20 minute power nap, didn't say a word, then came back to braid my hair like she didn't just go over to the couch and take a nap. Besides the Bibby episode on Atlanta, though, one of the funniest episodes ever done on the show featured a young black man who claimed to be transracial. Deep down, he really thought he was a white man. He was black, but he identified with being white. And this whole episode is basically about that. So with that episode of Atlanta in mind, the word of the week is transracial. I was reminded of this episode because of Jessica Crudd, an associate professor at George Washington, who resigned from her job recently after coming clean about the fact that for years, She has been pretending to be a black woman when she secretly was a Karen. She wrote a lengthy post on Medium that was titled The Truth and the Anti-Black Violence of My Lies. Jessica Krug blamed her culture robbery on childhood trauma and mental health issues. Now, I know plenty of people who suffer from both of those, sometimes simultaneously, and none of them decided that they were just going to pretend to be another race. This have actually had the nerve to write, I am a coward. You should absolutely cancel me, and I absolutely cancel myself. Oh, oh, well, thank you for giving us permission. Now, there is truly a lot to unpack here, but the aftermath of this fiasco was white folks using Krug's situation as evidence that there is such a thing as Black privilege, since you have a white woman gaining advantages by pretending to be Black. If you're one of those people parroting this narrative, let me just stop you before you make a total fool of yourself. Black privilege is not a thing other than Charlemagne the God's book, which is called Black Privilege. That's the only thing that it is. But I'm going to tell you what is a thing. The reward that comes with proximity to whiteness. It's the worst kept secret that colorism is still a problem in our community. The closer you are to white, meaning if you're light-skinned, claiming Creole, biracial, got a touch of caramel, there will be privileges and perceptions in our community that you benefit from. Ask anyone who is dark-skinned, especially a chocolate woman, about the insulting things that they have heard throughout their lives from other Black folks. Shout out to your pretty for a dark-skinned girl. Jessica Krug is very fair-skinned with dark hair, the kind of hair that doesn't look like it needs to be in a bonnet. She did not expose the benefits of being Black. What she exposed was the power of whiteness. Now on to today's show. 
My guest today is just dynamic. She acts, she sings, she raps, she makes you think. And just as importantly, she uses her voice to amplify other black voices and to speak on the things that matter. She is doing the most right now in all the best ways. I don't know if I'm more excited about her new single, Turntables, which is in a documentary on voter suppression that features Stacey Abrams, or her new movie, Antebellum, which will be available on demand starting September 18th. I've got mad respect for this woman, not just for her hustle and her drive, but because how she always carries herself with such grace and elegance. Coming up next on Jamel Hill is Unbothered, a true queen, Janelle Monet. So Janelle, back in the day, and it's not that far back in the day, like a few years ago, I used to be really deep into fantasy football, but uh, I spent one football season not doing fantasy just to remember what it felt like to just watch the game without thinking about money on the line or anything like that. And uh, I was thinking, I was like, man, I wish I kind of was playing it this season because I swear to God, my fantasy football team name would be Pussy Diet. I'm not even kidding. Like that's what I would make. <laughs> Django Jane is like one of my favorite songs ever. Um, I just it's an anthem. Like I don't even consider it a song. Like it's a straight up anthem. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, it's my pleasure to to welcome you. I mean, you're so multi talented because as great as a artist as you are um, musically, I mean, your work as a as an actor is is really is really really stunning. So I'm excited to hear about this new project that you have, uh, Antebellum, um, which sounds uh, kind of trippy, right? You have a woman <laughs> that is existing in two worlds i mean I, I guess we've all had that sort of what if that we've posed ourselves as like what wh how would we have been if we were you know back in slavery and so you have a woman who that you're playing veronica in eden right who is existing in the present world and also existing in the slave world so uh, why don't you start by telling me uh, a little bit more about antebellum and what makes this an exciting project for you so one i'm so thankful to be on your show with just you, I've, I've been a fan with, with you um, or following you for quite some time now. And outside of, uh, you know, interviewing and just like having your voice and when you were working with, for somebody else, I could see your light. And I knew that this is something that you did full time. This, is a, this wasn't a on and off. And so um, I see you walking in your purpose. You know what I'm saying? And I, and as somebody who, I, I feel like I, I have, since the beginning of my career, tried my best to walk in my purpose. Um, you give me that extra fuel whenever I'm fatigued. Oh, wow. So I just want to say thank you for having me. Um, Antebellum is a film uh, that follows a successful author who is trapped in this horrifying reality that uh, forces her to confront the past, the present, and, and the future before it's too late. Um, the reason why I say yes to this project was because I thought that it effectively connected the dots between the past, the present, and the future. When we're screaming Black Lives Matter, when we're screaming and talking about uh, white supremacy, talking about systemic racism, systemic oppression, we can't talk about those things without talking about chattel slavery. America's first sin. And knowing that I'm here and you're here, 
not because we've asked to be here, but because our ancestors were forced to be here to work. It's something that people need to be reminded of. People need to know that the past is not dead. The past is not the past. And when we're talking about police brutality as it pertains to right now, we have to always remember that in the South during the Civil War, the earliest stages of policing and, and the earliest police institution was the slave patrol, meant to kill, meant to destroy those who didn't obey, those who, who, who were, were, were forming or wanting to start a revolt, those who had run away. They were meant to track down our enslaved ancestors. And this is a system that, is, that, that inherently um, is built on racist policy. Right. And that's what we're trying to change. Racist policies. And when we're screaming defund the police and we're, when we're screaming abolish the police, we know what we're talking about. We know that we are trying to get rid of a system that was built on racist policy to traumatize us, to kill us. So this movie connects those dots. Now, was there any reluctance? Because a lot of times, especially now that when people hear that a project is somehow related to slavery, there's an automatic cringe moment. We're like, oh, do we want another slavery right. you know, related project? You were phenomenal in Harriet. Where is there any hesitancy on your part to do Antebellum because you'd already done Harriet? Like, were you worried about, you know, kind of being put in a box a little bit? No, because my the roles are different, you know, and one, I just want to say I'm so thankful that Harriet was told Harriet, you know, as a hero to, to not just myself, but so many. And what she was able to do was extraordinary uh, and needed to be highlighted in that film. I played uh, a free black person. I wasn't an enslaved woman and I had an opportunity to play Marie and she worked as a person who helped Harriet and helped other enslaved folks when they came to seek freedom up North, uh, she housed them. She made sure they got jobs. And so that was an important role. You know, um, that it was, it was important uh, to see the different types of black people during that era with this particular um, project antebellum. Um, I think I don't want to give away the plot. You know, I don't want to give away too much of this film, but not only is it a film that 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 highlights the truth about what happened to our ancestors, it also celebrates and highlights um, black women today, like yourself, those who are constantly speaking out against white supremacy, constantly giving a voice or helping or trying to help give a voice to marginalized communities. Um, when I think of my character, Veronica, She's inspired like people like you, like Maxine Waters, uh, like Angela Rye, like Brittany Packnett, like uh, Jovi and Zane, like Bree Newsome, like, um, you know, so many black women that carry the burden of deconstructing and dismantling uh, systemic racism on their backs every single day. And I don't think it should be our job. I don't think it should be your job. I don't think it should be the, the women's job that I name. Yet we still do it, you know, and. And I, I feel like, you know, there, there is this narrative that black women are these superheroes and that we um, uh, are, it's, it's like kind of dehumanizing us in a sense. 
And I think we owe black women so much. And at the very least, we owe black women peace. And so my hope is that this film, when you watch this film, um, and if you are in the position of power and you are privileged, that you figure out how to give black women peace, figure out how to give black people peace. And, 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 and you do the work. You do the work that we've been doing for centuries. That's such an important point um, because, you know, like a lot of black women, I certainly bought into the trope that the strong black woman, it sounds good and it's meant as a compliment. But as you said, it winds up being very crippling for us because uh, we bear a lot of responsibility. We shoulder a lot and we maybe even start uh, buying into our own detriment that we are superhuman and we're not like we need spaces to be vulnerable. We need spaces where we can unmask. And we often find that's that only place that we find that space is with each other, Yeah, which is great. But in a way that's also kind of heartbreaking. I mean, I know like lately um, to slightly veer off topic from your projects, uh, we've had a lot of discussions um, about, about the lack of support we sometimes receive in our own community, black women. And I'm not sure, and I'd love to hear your perspective about how we can have that conversation. Um, some of it popped up again. Uh, I don't know if you were able to see uh, the video that Meg the Stallion put out about what happened to her. And it was just so, it just broke my heart to just see that and some of the response. So um, I'd love to hear your perspective about like how we as a community can have that conversation without black men thinking that we're villainizing them about the lack of support that we sometimes receive in our own community for the work and for what we're trying to do. Listen, I think that I, I, what I try to do is come from a place of love, but love is not exempt of accountability. Just because you hold somebody accountable don't mean that you don't love them. That, that is the biggest form of love because that's saying, listen, we can be better than that. I want you to be better than that. And I, like you, uh, you know, I was sick to my stomach uh, around the, the, the victim blaming that, that was going on around Meg the Stallion. And she, she is strong. This is, but, but she should not have to go through that. She should not have to have proved that, proved to people who thought that she was lying, that she wasn't lying. Um, I think in general, there's, there, there's going to have to be a commitment from those who benefit from patriarchy. If you benefit from patriarchy, you need to speak up. You need to do more to be not an ally, but an accomplice to black women and those who do not benefit from this patriarchal system. Violence under any kind should be condemned. It's not a gender issue. It needs to be condemned. And I think that when you when when we're talking about black women though we are disproportionately affected by it so my my thing is to say in the same way that we ask white people to fix systemic right like to abolish systemic racism and oppression i'm asking those and this is black men included if you are doing this then i'm not talking to you but if you benefit from this white patriarchal system in a way that we don't I'm asking you to have conversations with more men about how you can be better supportive, how you can show up better for, <laughs> for, for, for black women and other folks who are, who may not be um, as, as privileged as you are in this world. 
And I think is that's the same that goes with rich and poor. You know what I'm saying? Light and dark. I think we can all be better. I'm talking to myself here. I think we can all be better accomplices uh, uh, to, to one another. We can all get in the paint more and help those who, 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 who are not as privileged as we are. And I say that with love. Yeah, because uh, what I've, I've tried to explain to some black men is that, yes, as a black man, you are perceived as a threat in this country. You are under the boot of racism, but you still have male privilege. And they absolutely they don't necessarily get that part of it. And I'm like, we have like literally no privilege. We have nothing. <laughs> like That's why yeah. Malcolm X said years ago, we were the most disrespected person in America. Um, well, when you talk, think about it, not only are we fighting against racism, we're fighting against sexism. Absolutely. So that needs to be that needs to be highlighted. And then it depends on, you know, in terms of class, we're fighting against classism. Like it's a it's a it's a lot of different things. And I think that people just have to do the research to understand uh, where they sit and where their privilege is and hold themselves accountable if they really want to make that change. Um, Speaking of research between uh, antebellum, Harriet, uh, were there things about slavery that you learned that surprised you? And if so, what were they? That surprised me. Or I should say struck you or like, I don't know that because that these, this is a very chattel slavery, very heavy material you're dealing with. Was it something that, you know, kind of sat with you? Yeah. And I, and I just want to say that this film doesn't deal with that, the whole film. Right. Um, I, I, I want to be clear about that. Antebellum, uh, you know, is highlighting our joy, highlighting our celebration, highlighting our brilliance also highlighting our pain, also highlighting what it is like again for, for, for the black woman to carry the burden of fighting for marginalized voices every single day. And so um, one of the things that, that I wanna also say is that I don't think we can talk about those issues. And, and I think when I was filming this, this movie, I was just like, man, I get an opportunity to go back after I film and like eat a cup of gumbo because we were in New Orleans and I get to go get in my bed. And, but you know, our ancestors, they couldn't do that. And I think when I was filming this, I just remembered being fatigued and, and just being like, man, I don't have any more in me. I cannot, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to film today. And it was really, it was, it was, it was walking in New Orleans and filming on some of these locations and feeling that presence of my ancestors that I know got me through every walk, every movement, every head turn, every running, every, uh, every thought that I was thinking, I know that they were right there with me, their spirit. And even, even up until when I saw the first cut, I was like, I don't see myself. I see them. I see some, I see I see some ancient eyes when I'm looking at this character. So I, I, I felt the presence even more of my ancestors by filming this. Mm. I, I have no doubt that you did. Cause sometimes when we have strength and we don't know where it comes from, that's a, the ancestors yeah. is a good, that's a good place to look um, because your acting career has, has, exploded um you know i'm sure you're constantly asked about when's the new music though when's the new music though um i am told though that you will have some new music uh that is coming our way in uh september uh, a project that you're doing turntables i believe um can you give me a little tea on what that's about yes i have a new anthem coming out 
called turntables. And I think just in this in this moment, we're all feeling this revolution. We're all feeling that that we, as Black people, as and 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 Black women and Black queer folks in the LGBTQI plus communities, um, we're not allowing it to be just lip service. We're holding again, those who benefit from these racist policies and benefit from patriarchy accountable in a different way. We're not letting up. Business will not return to to usual. And this song is about the revolution. It's highlighting that. And when you think about a record spinning, they call it uh, RPM, uh, revolutions per minute. When it's spinning like that, that's what's happening right now. And I just wanted to capture what it is like to watch it happen. You know, I'm not the leader. I don't have the answers, uh, but I'm inspired. I'm motivated and I know that we're going to get tired and we're going to get fatigued. And this was just my contribution. And the person that I really have to thank for this is none other than Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams got me back in the studio because I watched she, you know, I, I, I was in Georgia and trying to vote for Stacey Abrams and I was gerrymandered and I couldn't. And I saw Brian Kemp steal that election from Stacey Abrams. And I told her, if you ever need me, call me. And she called me and the directors of her documentary, um, All In, contacted me and asked me if I wanted to, uh, you know, contribute some new music. And I said, okay. I'm not at all in a space where I need to get in the studio because I was just emotionally fatigued and traumatized by, you know, the violence against us and, and the deaths and, you know, what was going on with Breonna Taylor, you know, what, what was going on with George Floyd. I still haven't watched that video and I just didn't have it in me. And so I said, I'm going to watch this. If I move, I'll, I'll go, I'll make myself go into the studio. and. I was. I fell in love with Stacey in this documentary and just fell in love with her even more and had a deeper level of respect for her um, than I did. And, you know, I went to the studio and I said, I'm going to write this like I'm writing it for uh, myself. What do I need to hear? What 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 would I want to hear to motivate me? And what would I think a young organizer, a black queer young organizer would need to hear to keep them going and motivated. And I said, I'm gonna write it. I'm not a politician. I'm not changing no words. I'm not changing no lyrics. This is how I feel. Um, if they say, you know, change the lyrics or something, I'm just going to have to keep it. And I'll, I'll just have to support her in a different way. And, you know, I was, I, I was happy to hear when they heard the song, they loved it. And they didn't ask me to change one thing. And so this is going in, in her new documentary that's coming out on September uh, 18th. And I'm super honored to stand with her and, and super honored to uh, create a song that's not just for me, but hopefully it can be for us. Um, it's not wallowing in the past, but more concerned about the future and where we're headed and what we're doing.
Uh, yeah, and just so um, uh, to give people a little bit more information, uh, as you mentioned, it'll it'll be available September 18th. They'll be streaming on Amazon Prime Video. And uh, this is, as uh, Janelle mentioned, the documentary All In, The Fight for Democracy, which is about all the laws and many of the barriers that we face when it comes to uh, voter suppression. Um, and you mentioned being, yeah. you know, having your vote. Uh, so did your vote ultimately not count? So were you not? It able- didn't count. Wow. They did redistricting and changed my county, which just to to new renaissance. And then after the election, changed it back to Fulton. Of course. If it's happening to me, it's happening to so many other people. We see the long lines and this documentary goes in and it shows you, you know, why we can't let up. And, and it's also not just about voting. You know what I'm saying? But knowing that we're voting out people who enable and, and put into place these racist policies that, that continue to oppress us. We got to vote that out and we can still keep marching. We can still keep doing other things in the community. But I think it all works hand in hand. How have you uh, you said a second ago that, you know, mentally, emotionally, you didn't feel in the right place before you were asked to, to make this music for Stacey Abrams documentary. How are you on a personal level? handling all this. I saw a meme that went around that I thought was great um, that said, um, check on your black friends because they're not okay. You know, between all of, you know, this, remember this, this year, 2020, which has felt like 25 years in one year, it started with Ahmaud Arbery. Yeah. Then it was Breonna Taylor. Yeah. Um, And even though it wasn't a fatal incident, it was Christian Cooper. Then, you know, to go to George Floyd and then now it's Jacob Blake. And uh, we found out about Elijah McClain and all these other, many other interests in name. And excuse me if I don't even remember them all. How are you able to balance all of that on top of a pandemic in this in this time? Like what's what is allowing you to survive this? Well, on a personal note, I'm not OK. <laughs> and you don't really know you're not okay until you just start having conversations and you burst out crying or when you're in therapy and you just burst out crying yes i put some money to the side so that i can have therapy sessions i need it you know um because not you you know it's it's like you can't even go out and physically touch and hug your loved ones and be with people because you're scared that you might kill them or kill yourself with COVID-19 and there's, there's a larger gap, this emptiness, this distance that if you suffer from anxiety or if you suffer from anything uh, mentally um, that isn't, you know, that, that, that's not healthy for you. uh, You're, you're more susceptible to, to, to being depressed. You're more susceptible to, to not being okay. And I think, just saying that is okay. That's, that's the, it's power in saying, I'm not okay. I'm not good. When people ask, t- text me, how are you doing? That is one of the heaviest questions for me because it's a lot to unpack there. It's a lot, you know, and you don't even know how to answer it because you don't even want to diminish how not okay you are. Um, how do I talk about that? You know, how do I talk about how, how do I talk about it? And, 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 and I just think mental, mental health services should be free for everybody. You know, um, I think that that's important. Um, yeah, on that personal note, but, but listen, I know that we have this election coming up. I know that 
we have a lot of people not understanding that it is so important that we get people out of office who are not lending an ear to what it is that matters to us. This current president is not even listening. It's so important that we elect people who are listening and who will help us get rid of these racist policies. Push them, push them. Yes, I'm voting for Biden and I'm voting for Kamala. I'm gonna hold them accountable too. I'm gonna hold them accountable and so should you. And so that's what I'm focused on. And not just that, but how can I be a better service to our community organizers and our community leaders? That's where I'm putting my pain, like all of it. I'm like, okay, what can I do? And when I can't do anything, just say that. Somebody asked me to do something, I can't do it. I have too much on my plate. But I'm constantly working, constantly trying to help out and amplify the voices of the people doing the work who have their boots on the ground every day, who are out in the streets, who are who are fighting for us every single day. Yeah, that's an important message uh, because my my worry is that people really don't understand the stakes of what's happening. Um, this is not just about how I know there's been a lot of and I'm sure you've heard it. There's been a lot of hand wringing about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and assessing their records and all this other stuff. I understand that that portion of it, that's part of the process. But do realize that this election is actually bigger than them, that we're talking about an entire system of racist policies where, you know, Donald Trump has appointed almost him and Mitch McConnell, almost 200 judges who are conservatives, who are hell bent on retracting any progress that has been made. So this is not just about getting Donald Trump out of office. This is about preserving free and fair elections. Number one. Yeah. It is also about preserving, um, you know, many of the gains that have been made that he already began to roll back. And now they're even further back. It's like, we got to stop this. And most importantly, this is about the fact that if we don't get Donald Trump out of office, he could potentially be deciding three Supreme Court justices. You do not want to know what that looks like. We've seen some of it. Absolutely. It will, as bad as you think it is right now, it will get worse. And oh, yeah, it can get worse. It can always get worse. Now on to something, some lighter stuff. Uh, every guest I have on this podcast, I play a little game with called This or That. So Janelle, I'm going to give you two choices. You got to pick one. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, shoot. <laughs> you can curse, say, oh, shit. This might have you saying that. Okay. Oh, shit. <laughs> From what I'm told, my, my sources tell me you're a big Game of Thrones fan, as am I. Right? Yeah. Knee deep in Games of Thrones. So first question is... Uh, who is a more trash person? Was it King Joffrey or Ramsey Bolton? <laughs> oh, sh- <Ooh. laughs> both. Now you can't say both. both. You got to pick one. <laughs> no. Okay, King Joffrey or Ramsey? Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! They were both the worst. I mean, like they were. It's both for me. I got. I mean, say, Ramsey. The way Ramsey went out. Yeah, he was older. Yep. And he was older. You knew better. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I think that, man, I, I, I don't know. I, oof, I say, I, I'm going to say both. I'm sorry. Both. <laughs> but I got more satisfaction out of seeing Ramsey killed. Like he, the way that, you know, having a dog, his own dogs eat him. I ain't going to lie. I was living for that. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, real quick, you, uh, what were your thoughts on the way it ended? How'd you feel about it? I didn't like the last uh, episode. I didn't like it. I felt like it was rushed. But I love Game of Thrones. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't love the last episode. It didn't. Yeah, I was a little disappointed, but I'm going to forever be a Game of Thrones fan. <laughs> if they come out with a new season, I'm watching it. Or they, they say, hey, we're going to reboot this and start this over. Yeah. You're all in. But take your time. Don't rush it. Don't <laughs> rush it. Uh, Beetlejuice or Edward Scissorhands? <gasps> you know I'm both fans. I know. Of Beetle, I'm a Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands. Oh, my goodness. Man. That's real, Jamel. Ooh, I know that wasn't right. You really, you really are trying me today. I am. Um, <laughs> damn, man. Ah, uh, uh, no comment. <laughs> no comment. You are no comment. I got a both, and then I got a no comment. <laughs> no, oh because Edwards. Okay, I'll say for right now. I'm gonna say Edwards is me. You know, I teared up at during Edwards is hands. I, I didn't tear up during Beetle Dudes. Oh. I teared up during Edward Scissorhands. Like, yeah, Edward Scissorhands, I love because so misunderstood, mm -hmm. so sweet, so meek and mild, mysterious, talented. Yep. You know, just artistically gifted. And um, yeah, I just didn't like how the community treated him. Exactly. As a black person, I felt very connected. Same. Um, well, if you're going to really hate this question, then uh, when doves cry a purple rain. <laughs> You know what, Jamel? I'm about to hang up on you. I'm I'm about to hang up on you because now you, now 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 you playing. Oh, now you playing with me. Um. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Oh God, no! I'm not answering that. I ain't answering that. You are the most First hostile all, this or that participant I've ever had. <laughs> I can't. That is that's just so hard. That's so hard. Why are you doing this to me today? I just uh, just thought I you know just thought I'd throw it out there. All right. Okay. Maybe this one would be better. Maybe this would be better. Um, Darth Vader or Kylo Ren? Shit. <laughs> Darth Vader. Darth, see? There we go. Finally. Finally, I got one from you. <laughs> Darth Vader. <laughs> Darth Vader. Mm. Uh, one more Game of Thrones question. Uh, who did you think was more deserving of the throne? Was it Bronn or Sansa? Sansa. No, no, no. Uh, Arya should have got. Uh, you thought Arya, Arya should have got, got it. it. Okay. Arya start hands down, hands down. Arya, Lady Brienne, they all should have just worked together. Because I'm a huge Arya Stark fan. Same here. I, I was really upset how they did my girl Lady Brienne. I was like Jamie Lannister. I was just like, why? Right. <laughs> why? Right. I didn't like that. Yeah. Um, Lady Brienne is so ill she's so sick to me like i like seeing seeing her fight was just just gave me so much joy like her she should have yeah i wanted her i wanted more of her i would watch a spinoff of her and aria yeah uh, aria spinoff definitely yeah. for sure uh yeah well look janelle i know you got to get out of here i have so enjoyed this conversation um thank you for everything the kind words you said about me which i totally don't deserve but i'm never to let Nevertheless, humbled by uh, that was really amazing. Your work is amazing. Um, you know, I can't tell you how much everything you have done just added to my life. And the fact that you are so willing to be a voice out here during this time where we need people who are willing to be 
in this fight and in it for real. Um, as I often tell people, do what you can where you are and you have done more than enough. And so um, just thank you just for, for everything that you contribute to the culture all across the spectrum. Oh my goodness. Thank you. So I appreciate yeah, you joining me and spending this time with me. It's my honor. And, and one of the things about this film that I love and it, it, you saying these things to me and me saying what I said to you earlier is there are so many sweet moments um, between Black women in this film. Uh, I had an opportunity to work with Gabourey Sidibe and she and I played best friends uh, in Antebellum. And when you see that love and that level of accountability, you know, that we hold each other to, uh, when you see us just letting our hair down, drinking our wine, talking about what it's like to be you know, moms, I'm not a mom yet, but I, my character is a mother. She is a wife. Um, it really humanizes black women in a way that I, 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 we, we see, but we need more of, you know what I'm saying? Like we need to see more of that. And that, that's, that's what I think is so special about having relationships and, and being inspired by other black women is there's no, when, when a black woman sees you, it's, it means so much, you know, when you see me as a black woman, you know, you being, you, you representing the type of black woman that you represent when you see me, um, there's no higher compliment. And I just, I, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I would agree that there, there is something about that, that relationship, that understood relationship that we you know, that we all kind of have with each other. It is very unique and spe special. And we, we certainly need to do, um, you know, what we can to protect it for sure. Yeah. Anyway, good, good people listening. Janelle's getting out of here. I'll be back with the final segment. Y'all know what's coming up next. Fuck it. I'm bothered. I want you all to imagine this terrifying scenario. You're a mother of a 12-year-old black boy and you get a call from your son's vice principal that a police officer is on his way to your house because your son was playing with a toy gun during a virtual art class. Any mother would be scared out of her mind. You'd probably think about Tamir Rice, the 12-year-old who was killed by police while he was in the park playing with a toy gun all because a 911 caller described him as, quote, a guy with a pistol. A guy, not a 12-year-old. That could have easily have been 12-year-old Isaiah Elliott, who was suspended from school for five days for bringing a facsimile of a firearm to school. Only Elliott was at home participating in an online learning session, not in school. He was studying with another classmate, and according to the police report, Isaiah and his classmate were pointing a toy gun at the computer screen. The toy gun, by the way, was a Nerf gun. And having seen the picture of it, it looks exactly like what it is. It's a fake neon colored gun that a lot of kids use to play video games. The police said Isaiah was pointing the gun. But the problem is when Isaiah's father looked at the recording of the learning session, all he saw was his son moving the gun to the side. He never saw him pointed at anybody. Now, while I can't say for certain what happened, I do know that the police lie and exaggerate on their police reports, often to officially justify aggressive actions. I also know that black kids are four times more likely to be suspended from school than white kids. 
I also know that this is another glowing example of the school to prison pipeline and how it gets established. Isaiah now not only has a record with the sheriff's department, this incident is on his school record with the description I mentioned above, brought a facsimile of a firearm to school. Now, while his parents have pulled Isaiah out of that school, don't think he won't be labeled because of this. It also means that if he makes any mistakes, his record will be brought into account. He won't be seen as a kid who at worst made the unwise decision of playing with a video game gun when he was supposed to be learning, which, by the way, pretty typical behavior for somebody his age. No, Isaiah will be seen as the black kid, oh, excuse me, the black man with a history of violence. So fucking I'm bothered because that's how this game works for us. We suffer more severe consequences, aren't allowed to make the same mistakes as everyone else, even in our youth. And often we are left to live with humiliation and trauma in the process. Black kids lose their innocence far earlier than they need to, even if the most attentive parents try their best to prevent that from happening. It's hard to maintain innocence when your skin is the weapon. Stay unbothered. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify and Unbothered Inc. From Unbothered Inc., Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent and Evan Dick is our executive producer. From Spotify, executive producer is Erica Clark and project manager is Jessica Dow. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. <laughs>